Well, we are continuing our series of You Asked, and it's supposed to be You Asked For It, um, but what this series is doing is answering questions that come from the congregation. And this one piggybacks on the message that we looked into last week on decision-making. If you remember last week, we were looking into how do I make decisions, how do I find a godly way to choose what I do and what I don't do when it comes to decisions in life such as career, school to attend, all of those big decisions. What I wanted to do this morning is piggyback on that, and I wanted to go into how do I decide questionable things. There are things that we encounter as believers that sometimes we wonder, is this right? Or is this wrong? We search Scripture, and we can't really find Scripture give a definitive answer as to whether or not it's right or wrong. And then as a result, there's just a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of disagreement among believers as to what's right and what's wrong. What I find as we look into Scripture is... I think Scripture leaves some things open-ended, and we have to make a decision about whether or not we'll engage in certain activities or do certain things on the basis of our freedom to choose, rather than on the basis of God specifically laying out for us a moral boundary that is crystal clear. And so what happens is this. There are several different approaches in deciding what is right and what is wrong for me in those gray areas, those questionable areas that aren't specifically addressed in Scripture. And what we find is this. There are basically three approaches. There's a legalistic approach. There's a licentious approach, and then there's the approach of our Christian liberty. So what I want to do is talk about each one of those. Now, here's the rub. Have you ever noticed when you're driving that anybody that goes slower than you is a moron, and anyone who goes faster than you is a maniac? Well, It works that way sometimes in Christian circles. If anyone's wound a little tighter than me, they're a legalist. If anybody is a little looser than me, well, then they're a flaming liberal. And I am the standard by which all things are to be judged because I have it all figured out. Not the case. What we find as we go into Scripture is this, that legalism as an approach to deciding what is right and what is wrong is a terrible approach. And we're going to look at that first. Now, some of you are probably alarmed that there aren't spaces in your outline. As a matter of fact, this week, Liz texted me and said, did you mean to give me the outline with all of the blanks filled in? And I said, quit being so legalistic. I decided not to do that. So let's talk about legalism. What is legalism? What we're going to see structurally is we're going to talk about how legalism affects our lives, first of all, and then we'll also look at how licentiousness affects our lives, 
and then how liberty affects our lives. And we're going to follow basically the same structure as we consider each one of the alternatives for how we approach questionable things. Now, the first thing about legalism is this, and by the way, I think we should probably define legalism. Legalism is elevating man-made standards to authority of Scripture. That's the idea of legalism. There's nothing wrong with having standards, but when we elevate that and make it something that has as much authority in our lives or in the lives of others, and we don't find direct scriptural authority for those ideas and those opinions, but we say that it carries as much weight as scripture, then we are falling in to legalism. And what scripture tells us about legalism is this, first of all, People live according to man-made rules. Now, let's look at this. When we think about man-made rules, we see clear examples in Scripture of man-made rules. For instance, in the Gospels, the Pharisees would take the 632 requirements that God had in the law, and they would interpret it and add to it rules of their own. And they built an entire religious system that focused on the inside, not on the inside, but rather the outside in rather than the inside out. And as a result, there was a lot of judgmentalism. There were sets of rules for the Pharisees and sets of rules for everyone else. The legalism built a system that couldn't recognize the Son of God, when he was right in their midst. So it was destructive. It was devastating. Move forward a little bit, and we come to the Apostle Paul. And you know what we find with the Apostle Paul? Almost every one of his letters addresses this tendency on the part of people to follow man-made rules and to elevate them to a place where they have as much authority as Scripture. And again, the same result. There is a distancing ourselves from God, but there is also this division that ensues as people disagree about what list they should follow. So let's look at some Scripture that talks about this. When we look in the Scripture at Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 20, The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church of Colossae, and what he says is this, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, now basic principles of this world is a formula in the New Testament that basically is talking about the law, the law of Moses, since you have died to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Now, what happened is this. When Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled the law, and he delivers us from the condemnation of the law, and he also delivers us from many of the requirements of the law. For instance, I'm so thankful that pulled pork and bacon are now okay. The law was set aside when it comes to pulled pork and bacon, for which I am internally grateful. Then there's also the idea of shrimp. In the Old Testament, you couldn't eat shrimp. I fully intend to go to Cape Cod and have shrimp. God has delivered us from those things. And that leads us to verse 21. Notice it says some of these rules that people make are 
do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And then look at this. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teaching. Now, here's the idea. Many within the church at Colossae had not only been told that they had to follow the law, but added to the law were these human requirements that many in the church at Colossae were imposing on people because it garnered power for them. And they had this leadership position that they loved to be viewed as important and knowledgeable and they loved to have a following, so they were teaching this at the Church of Colossae. Paul is writing and saying, don't follow that. But then he goes on to say this, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, here's what the Word of God is telling us. While legalism promises that a person will grow spiritually, feel connected to God, it can't deliver on that promise. Nobody is changed from the outside in. We are only changed from the inside out. Legalism denies the power, the transformative power of the Spirit of God. And so as a result, when we follow these man-made rules and we make that our course towards spirituality, we are going to fall short. Let me give just a word of testimony. I was raised in a very legalistic church. They had rules for everything. I think I've shared this before, but it definitely bears repeating. A rule that you couldn't swim within 25-mile radius of the church. That was one of the rules. Made no sense. When I asked about it, I was told to be quiet. But that was one of the rules. No swimming within a 25-mile radius of the church. Very arbitrary. We had an evangelist who came by and spoke on why wireframe glasses were sinful and a mark of rebellion. So all of you people with uh, these wireframe glasses on this morning, you're in sin. Man-made rules that we look upon now and we, we chuckle, we snicker, we say, what's with that? But to them, it had substance. Why? Do people want to live according to man-made rules? Well, one of the reasons, I think, is this. We want to grow spiritually. We want to be connected with God. And so if I can have somebody just give me a roadmap for that, and if it means following this list where I don't have to think and strain and try, all I have to do is follow the list, that simplifies stuff. The problem is this. We are destined to live in immaturity if that is the course that we follow. One of the most important responsibilities for a parent is to teach their child how to think, right? Because you're not going to be around to tell them what to do and what not to do. Sorry, some of you may still be doing that, but <laughs> that's the goal, right? 
to not do that. You want them to grow to be mature. And as long as you make every decision for them and point them in every direction that they should go, they'll never become mature. Well, I think the same thing is true for us spiritually. If I have somebody that is making every spiritual decision for me and I am not growing in my understanding of who God is and how I relate to God, I will never grow spiritually. What I found as I grew up in a very strict legalistic church was this. As I grew older, I felt disconnected from God. I started looking and saying, I'm just not feeling that I'm growing and I never quite measure up. And it upset me, and it scared me. God doesn't want his children to live in that way. Something else we see about legalism. Legalism lays a yoke of bondage on others. When we look at what the Scripture says about how those who have these human standards, these human commands as the most important thing in your spiritual life, What we find is it's described many times in Scripture as a yoke, as being in bondage to something. In fact, the Apostle Paul, again, to the Colossians wrote this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, not according to Christ. So the idea is we can be held captive by these man-made rules, by these man-made ideas that aren't borne out in Scripture, and as a result, we are not growing in Christ. We will live in immaturity. And what I've found is this. Many of the environments of legalistic churches are toxic. These are, at times, very toxic environments for churches and for people to grow in. For myself, I never felt like I measured up. I could never keep all of the rules that they made up as well as all of the rules that are revealed in Scripture. How in the world do I pull that off? And so as a result, I always had this feeling I'm failing as a Christian. And most of the time from the pulpit, I was reminded that I was failing as a Christian. So as a result, I spent a lot of my youth in frustration and discouragement because I never measured up. When I finally discovered what the Scripture has to say about my freedom in Christ, initially I was relieved, and then I was pretty honked off. Because I looked at it and I said, man, I have been suffering by this accusation always hanging over my head when I could enjoy freedom in Jesus Christ and who he created me to be. This is what God wants for us, not a system made up by man that confuses us. Something else. Legalism forces us to look upon others judgmentally. You know, in practically every passage that Paul discusses legalism in, he talks about judgmentalism going hand in glove. And what I found is this. Sometimes we judge people because 
They don't follow my list. And I will criticize other Christians who have a different list because their list isn't as good as my list. And so what ensues is division, right? The main thing that legalism is going to lead us toward is judgmentalism and division. And we need to really remember that. So let's look at some of the scripture that talks about the judgmentalism that goes along with legalism. First of all, again, from the book of Colossians, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What the Scripture is reminding us of in this passage is quite clear. I'm not to judge other people by standards that I follow. And by the same token, I'm not to come under the judgment of other people. If they're hung up on one of these things and they want to lay a burden on me, as a believer, I have my responsibility before God. And this other stuff, it's, it's a shadow. It appears to be there. It appears to have substance, but there's really nothing there. The real substance in our lives is Jesus Christ, and that's what we need to remember. Something else that we find is from the book of Romans, chapter 14. And here we're reminded, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, we're going to unpack that a little bit further when we come to liberty, but the idea of not judging other people, crystal clear. So, as a believer seeking to mature, to grow in my relationship with God, legalism is the wrong approach. Then we come to license, and we're going to move through license a little more quickly. But license is something that tells us, I'm hitting the back button. That was my issue. I thought, boy, how did I get stuff out of sync that far? There we go. License. Now, license is looking upon things and saying there are no rules. The legalist says there's all kinds of rules, rules that I've made up, but license comes and says there are no rules whatsoever. I'm not bound by God's revealed will in the Scripture. I'm not bound by anything. Basically, I can do whatever I want to do. Now, there were, believe it or not, teachers during New Testament times who taught this very thing, and Jude speaks of them. He says, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. So in other words, they had come into the first century church, and they were teaching something. Notice it says, these are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So what was going on? Those who were seeking to find freedom and meaning through license were saying, no rules apply. I'll do whatever I want. There's a problem with that approach. 
we are all fallen human beings. We all have sin natures that drive us toward being disobedient, that drive us toward being selfish, that drive us toward elevating ourselves in pride and devaluing everybody else. And that's exactly what happens when a person pursues that course. What happens is they begin to lay aside whatever doesn't suit a personal desire. Licentious people are people who live by their own rules, and they only live for themselves. Your part in their life is only the degree to which you fulfill one of their desires. It's a self-oriented life. It's a very selfish life. So in laying aside people who don't accomplish their goal, they become those who don't approach what God calls all of us as believers to live. As a believer, my chief responsibility is to love God and to love people. That's what I'm called to do. That's how I'm to live. If I count on my if-it-feels-good-do-it approach as a person living in license, I am not loving God, and I'm certainly not loving people. I'm loving self, and it's going to evidence itself in all of the decisions that I make. Something else, when we live according to license, we will look upon others as a way to get whatever I want. When we go back to Jude, Jude speaks to this when he talked about a group that was existing in the church that he was writing to. And this is what he says. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love. Now, you know what he's talking about? The Lord's table. That holy time of worshiping Jesus Christ and celebrating that we are a church body bought by his blood. So there's a group that shares in the Lord's table, but look at how they're described. They are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without wind. As a matter of fact, it goes on to say, without giving any rain, they are like trees in the autumn. They are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. What is it saying? The same group that was saying, God's grace is actually an opportunity for me to do whatever I want to do and live however I want to live in disobedience to what God clearly reveals in his word. I'm doing it to serve myself as a shepherd that fleeces the flock, more or less. That was unthought of for a shepherd, to live off of the flock that wasn't his. He was there to tend it, not to take ownership of it. But here are people that had crept into the church who were living according to license and who were saying, there are no rules I'll do whatever I want to do. Now, the last part of this passage, liberty. If I'm not to go to one extreme and be legalistic, I have a rule for everything. 
and I'm not afraid to share it, right? Or if I go to the other extreme and I say, I'm free to do whatever I want. There are no rules. I'm missing out on growing spiritually and understanding what it is to have a close walk with God. So where should I be as a believer in deciding on questionable things? Well, I'm glad you asked. The idea of liberty is something that we need to grasp. And what liberty does is, first of all, it lives within God's moral boundaries, meaning when I look in God's Word and it tells me to remain faithful to my wife, to not lie, to not steal, when I look in the Word of God and it gives me a moral framework in which to function I accept that, I understand that, and I function within it. I live within God's moral boundaries. And that is something that all of us need to understand. But in the areas where that boundary isn't as clear, I'm free to choose. Now, there are some people who would look and say, well, how can you say that you live in liberty when... God places restrictions on us. If I really had Christian liberty, wouldn't I live more like the person who lives in license? Wouldn't I be able to do whatever I want? Well, let's unpack that for a minute. Understand that if I am not set free by God, then I am bound to sin. That having God's moral boundaries around me isn't restrictive, it's freeing. James points this out when he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What God is calling his law, in other words, moral boundaries, in this instance, is the law of liberty. It is something that frees us from the terrible grip that sin would hold on our lives. Furthermore, Paul says this in the book of Romans, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what the Word of God is telling us is this, Look, if, if I have the approach that I'm trying to gain God's favor by doing the works of the law, then I'm bound by the law. But if I have the idea that I'll do whatever I want, then I'm bound by sin. So liberty functions between those two. It looks upon the Word of God and the moral boundaries that He sets as freeing, but it also understands the importance of coming under the authority of God. Christian liberty functions in that way. Something we need to realize is this. You are going to be bound by something. You're going to be bound by sin. You're going to be bound by man-made rules. Or you're going to be bound by God's revealed truth and then function within that moral boundary that God has given you by making decisions that honor Him and grow you as a human being. 
When God gives us the moral boundaries that he gives us, he doesn't arbitrarily come up with a moral boundary and say, hmm, I think I'll just make that wrong today. God's moral boundaries reveal much about God's character. When God tells us not to lie, it's a revelation of the fact that God is truth. When God tells us to be faithful, it is a reminder of God's faithfulness. All of the moral boundaries that God puts into place and our obedience to those is the ultimate way that we really worship the character and the nature of God. So it's not restrictive as much as this is what God as the creator designed us to be. So as I live within the moral framework that God has put into place, in reality, I am living in freedom, not bound by the terrible, terrible nature of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ said the following, whoever believes in him, in Jesus Christ, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Now, look at verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. There's a part of us that wants to go and do whatever I want to do, and that's because I want to keep doing my evil deeds. But when I come to Jesus Christ, I am set free from that. I'm no longer under the penalty of those evil deeds, and I am no longer bound to have to do those evil deeds. That's the concept of Scripture. Verse 20 goes on to say this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So this is the way God wants us to live. He wants us to live within the moral framework that God has established, but to understand that where the moral framework of God doesn't directly address an issue, we have freedom to make a decision about it. Now, that decision-making process. What are some of the boundaries of the freedom that I operate within? A lot of times as American citizens, we will look and we will say, I have a right to do this, right? And we are blessed with a lot of rights. But I'm here to tell you that sometimes, even though you have a right to do something, it isn't right to do it. Sometimes we lay aside our rights out of consideration for other people. And certainly that's what the Word of God teaches us when it comes to the exercise of my Christian liberty. A couple of passages I want us to look into. One of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I really encourage you, sometime today, go home and read that whole 8th chapter of 1 Corinthians, there was an issue that was taking place within the church of Corinth. The issue was people were eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, here's the rub. There were some people that looked at that meat that had been offered to an idol, and they said, you know what, it's just meat. The idol is just a piece of stone or wood. It has no significance. It has no meaning. If I can get a discount at Louis' idol house and get my T-bone steak at a discount, great. It doesn't affect me. So they did. They went there. 
But guess what? A new believer, fresh out of idolatry, sees you going to Louis' idol house. And he says, I used to go to Louis' all the time because I believed that that meat was special because it had been offered to an idol. And so why is he going in there to buy his meat? Well, if he goes in there, I guess it's okay for me to go in there. But every time I eat that meat, I'm going to think about what I was doing and worshiping those idols. And I'm going to have a really marred conscience as a result of it. That's the setup for this passage of Scripture. Did the believer that went in there to buy the meat have the right to do it? Absolutely. He's free in Christ to go and get it. There is no express statement that forbade him from going in there to eat that meat. But for the person whose conscience was being harmed by that decision, it was hard. So what God counsels us to do in his word is the following. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. What happens is this person breaches his conscience. He starts doing activity that his conscience is telling him is wrong, and then he'll never trust his conscience, and he'll continue down a path that leads to no spiritual growth. In fact, the passage goes on that reminds us that this person that we're destroying and hurting is a brother in Christ for whom Christ died. So that elevates his value. Rather than me looking and saying, ah, he's an old stick in the mud. What's wrong with him? Why doesn't he just go eat that meat? I'll buy the burger for him. Good grief. Rather than doing that, I'm to see his value. And I'm to say, look, if this destroys his conscience, then I won't do it. So verse 12 goes on to say this, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, by the way, this is not a vegan verse, okay? I just want to assure you of that. Um, Down in the freezer, I have pulled pork that I fully intend to take to Cape Cod for my son's wedding, all right? Um, What it is saying is this. Look, if I know something is offending a brother, breaching their conscience, then I don't do it right in front of them and hurt their conscience. I don't make a big deal about it. In other words, my freedom goes as far as the sensibilities of the weaker brother. So we show consideration for one another. We are willing to temporarily set aside what we have a right to do because in this instance, it isn't right to do it. Another passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 14, we read from this this morning, and it says this, I know and persuaded 
in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean, unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. In other words, another situation. Here's a brother who looks and says, I don't feel right about eating ham sandwiches. Um, I, I'm fresh out of Judaism, and I know intellectually that it's okay, but it really bothers me. So guess what? I'm not to impose an offense upon him. I am to temporarily set that aside when I'm in his presence out of love for him and love for God. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So here's that formula again. And then verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So while I may have the right and the freedom to go and do something, if it is offending a brother, in other words, causing them to go against their conscience, then I'm to set it aside. That's the idea. So, in exercising my Christian liberty, as I'm looking at questionable things, I know something greatly offends another person. I am not going to rub their nose in it and say, look, I'm going to do this just because I can, and you said I can't. I'll show you. That's not to be the way we approach things. We are to approach things respectfully and in love. This is how God would have us approach these things. And so often as Christians, we want to make a point. We want to say to somebody, our point is more important than your preferences. So here you go. That's not what God would have us do. God would have us live according to peace. And that's how we make decisions about our Christian liberty. As a matter of fact, the final point is this. What a person who exercises their Christian liberty, their freedom to do things that God doesn't directly address in his word, our freedom to do that looks to love God and others. That is our highest goal. That is the way that we live. So, Some of us will look and say, well, that means that I don't get to do some things in front of people that I really like doing. Listen, if God has called me to lovingly obey him, then I can temporarily set aside the exercise of that right for the love of God and for the love of people. John writes the following, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So if God is putting upon my heart that this offends this other person, I don't look at that and go, oh, man, what a killjoy. I'm to look at it and say, I will happily set this aside, that the purposes of God might be fulfilled. That's the way we're to live. Not seeking to breach everyone's conscience, but seeking to love God. As a matter of fact, what we're reminded of in the book of Galatians is this. 
We were called to freedom. Listen, don't be bound by the yoke of legalism. Don't be entrapped by the licensed lifestyle that does whatever you feel like doing in the moment. But enjoy the Christian liberty that God has given you. See it as what it is, freedom for you, and that you've been called to as brothers and sisters in Christ. But look at what follows. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, I'm not to say, I'm free to do this, and daggone it, I'm going to. I don't care what anybody thinks. We aren't to do that. That's the flesh talking. That's me looking and saying it's all about me rather than looking at how it affects other people. What I am to do is, through love, serve one another. Leroy Imes, the head of Navigators, said something that was profound, many things that were profound, but this stands out to me. You know how you can tell if you're a servant? By how you respond when someone treats you like one. Let that sink in. As believers, we need to have servant hearts. We need to lovingly care for the people around us and serve them through love. And then this closing statement. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God has called us into a glorious freedom. And that freedom is something that we worship God with by the way we live it out and enjoy the freedom that he's called us to. But don't allow that freedom to be confused by your flesh and your desire to serve yourself. Always be willing to set aside what you have the right to do by asking the question, while I have a right to do this, is it right to do this now? That's the way God wants us to live. That's how God wants us to exercise our liberty. And we need to be careful to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text and others that we looked into this morning that remind us we are free in Christ. So God, my prayer is that we will live that freedom in a way that honors you, pleases you, can be used of you to build your kingdom and to minister to the church body that Jesus Christ shed his blood for. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.